hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, last weekend, uh, Gregory had a, a message called The Beautiful Letdown, and you can find the message on our YouTube page, and we encourage you to go there, encourage people to go and uh, watch our messages and uh, last week he talked about the beautiful letdown. And then he gave us a kingdom challenge, if you can remember. He says, I want you to this week wake up and pray a prayer along the lines of, God, give me more compassion and or mercy. And so uh, I wrote a note to myself, just left it on my desk at home. And uh, every time I'd plop down to do something, there, I just left a note there and just prayed that. And I don't think I made much progress, son, but I, I tried. Uh, and, but it was a great kingdom challenge, right? And, and, and so he talked about the pure in heart, where that heart can either be divided or devoted. And so uh, we hope that the messages that you're hearing here are uh, challenging you, encouraging you, growing you. Uh, so it was just a great message on that kingdom challenge last week. Well, this weekend we're talking about of peacemaking and persecution. And uh, Jesus is kind of coming toward the end of what we would call the Beatitudes, these statements uh, that he's making in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And, and this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is much longer than this, but these Beatitudes is where he begins what is considered the greatest message the world has ever heard. Matthew chapter 5 is where we will be. I invite you to turn in your Bibles. We'd love to have you join me there in just a moment. But before we do, we want to open with a prayer and get our hearts right as that worship led us to the throne room of God and began to open up to receive what God has for us. Let's pray. Father, we continue to invite you into this moment, and we ask you to, to touch us, to teach us, to convict us. That this word is live, it's active, it's a double-edged sword. It pierces us in so many ways. And so, Father, we ask right now that the Holy Spirit minister to us that your Spirit will teach us the Spirit of truth. And so, Father, we confess that we are ready to receive. We're in a posture of teachability. And so, Lord, we're waiting for the Spirit to speak. As the Spirit speaks, put us in a place of obedience and faith to hear, receive, and act upon your Word. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen and amen. Well, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus is waxed eloquent, if you will, on the Beatitudes, and he says, well, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And as Jesus, you can imagine Jesus on the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee, and there's a crowd that's gathered, and as those words come out of his mouth, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. Now, re remember when we talked about the word blessed here, it has this idea of being fully satisfied, right? It's after you've had that fantastic meal, and you're like, I can't eat another bite. I'm, I'm full. It's the, that's the idea that, that we're satisfied. It's a state of continual joy. So that's what he says here when he talks about blessed. And notice what he says, that those are the, the peacemakers, the peacemakers. Now, this word peacemaker is only used one other time in the New Testament. In fact, Paul uses it in the book of Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 20 proper. But this context of Colossians 1, Paul is speaking about the preeminence of Christ, and it's an incredible passage, uh, and I encourage you to read it maybe this evening or first thing in the morning, but it has to do with, 
with the position and the preeminence of Jesus Christ. But I want to come down to the end of that and notice what Paul says in verse 20 of Colossians chapter 1. And through him, speaking of Jesus, he has reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the only other time that this word peacemaker that Jesus uses in Matthew 5, 9 is used in the New Testament, peacemaking. Peacemaking is directly connected to propitiation. Propitiation is a doctrine that we see in Romans chapter 3, 23, 24, and 25. Propitiation there, Paul talks about in Romans 3, is his idea of an appeasement. There's an element of appeasement. And so this, this, this thing of, of, of peacemaking is a direct connection to the propitiation of the work of Jesus on Calvary's cross. His violent sacrificial death on the cross satisfied the offended holiness and the wrath of God. Now, I want you to hear this. Jesus' sacrificial, violent death on the cross satisfied the wrath, the wrath of God that was directed toward sinners. Hence, paving the way for those who believe to have peace with God. This is the idea of propitiation that we see in Romans chapter 3. It's, it's a powerful, powerful principle. And folks, you got to know that peacemaking is more than just not arguing over politics at Thanksgiving, which is a great thing to do, right? I mean, start there. But it's deeper than that. Peacemaking is a, is a, is a kingdom element. It's a, it's a kingdom calling. Peacemaking means that those of us in the body of Christ, the believers, that we have a, a new assignment, that we are ambassadors of reconciliation. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 and 21. Look there with me. The Scripture says that from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ in accordance to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Praise the Lord. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, and all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, peacemaking. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he's been made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The element of peacemaking that I want to touch on just briefly goes more than what we would say horizontal peacemaking, and that's a good thing. I'm speaking about vertical peacemaking ambassadors who have the capacity based upon the Holy Spirit and the, the great commission to be peacemakers among those in our lives who aren't at peace with the Father. It's a calling. In fact, here at Discovery Point, it's, it's our mission statement. We say this, that we are here to serve as an army of passionate kingdom ambassadors mobilized to pray, care, and share the love of Jesus 
enabling those within our relational circles to be transformed by the power of Christ and conformed to His image for the glory of God. We see ourselves as peacemakers, catalysts of reconciliation of peace with God the Father. And then Jesus goes on to say, blessed are the peacemakers for, look at what he says, they're going to be called the sons of God. Boy, this thing seems to be intensifying, right? This seems to be intensifying. They're going to be called the sons of God. Now, this word sons, we also in the Greek, it, it, it means one who resembles the father's character, right? Resembles, think about that, resembles the father's character. There's probably some things in your life, in your makeup, in your character, in your disposition that might resemble something to do with your earthly father at some level, at some level. This is the spiritual element of that, that the sons of God are the people who resemble the character of their heavenly father. I mean, that's kind of exciting stuff. That's kind of like, that's pretty amazing. In fact, Spurgeon said this about this beatitude. He said that this is the seventh of the beatitudes, and seven was the number of perfection among the Hebrews. It may be that the Savior placed the peacemaker, the seventh, upon the list because he most nearly approaches the perfect man in Christ Jesus. Maybe there's more intentionality here than we've ever seen before. The peacemakers, they are the sons of God, but if you think about peacemaking, you think about kingdom peacemaking, it's risky business. It's super risky business. And so why is that? Because peacemakers in the kingdom of God are penetrating the kingdom of darkness. The work of the peacemaker. Yes, relational peacemaking, absolutely. But that's really not what I'm speaking about. And I think Jesus is going deeper in the conversation. I think he's speaking about peacemakers, reconcilers, ambassadors who are invading the kingdom of darkness, pushing back the darkness of another kingdom. And when you begin to push back that darkness, when you invade the other kingdom, it becomes risky business. You ever tried to be a peacemaker and caught a haymaker? I'm sure you have. Sure you have. You've tried. I think up to this point of the Sermon on the Mount, I think in the initial stages of these Beatitudes, I think people are leaning leaning in and I think when Jesus gets up to this element of blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, I think at that point he's getting a lot of amens from the crowds. Someone in the back says, preach it, Jesus. Come on. Amen. And then the following Beatitudes I can see the crowd beginning to go somewhat silent. It's like they ramped up. Man, this is great. Are you leaning in? Put your phone down, honey. Listen to him. Are you taking notes? It's that good. Here is where the whole conversation intensifies. Read with me, if you will, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward 
is great in heaven. For, sir, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He gets into this element of persecution. Now, righteousness means kind of this idea of the state as one should be before God. It's a right relationship. It's a complete orientation of life toward God and His will. So now, he's talking about being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Don't miss that. He's not talking about general persecution, but persecution for righteousness' sake. And what Jesus does, he, he gives some insight for those who are going to be persecuted or are being persecuted. I mean, the first thing that he says in the passage is that the reason for the persecution, he says, is me. Wait a minute. Seems like a terrible strategy. He's trying to gather more disciples. He, he's got a movement going. He's a rabbi. He has a message to get out about this incredible kingdom. But in a moment of transparency, he says the problem you're going to face is because of me. I want you to think about that. He's being so honest with those who are hearing in the crowd. He's like, when you are persecuted, it likely will be my fault. Come, follow me. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, pump the brake, right? This is, it's a powerful idea. John 15, 18, the Scripture says, if the world, Jesus says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. This kingdom is a take-up-your-cross kingdom. This kingdom is a kingdom where Jesus said, it should appear that you hate your father and your mother compared to your love for me. So Jesus begins, the, the reason for the persecution is going to be me. If you're just persecuted for persecution's sake and it has nothing to do with, for, with me, then the promise does not apply to you. The reason for the persecution, he's very clear. He's like, everybody look at me in the crowd. It'll be because of me. Then notice what he says. I want you to respond when you're persecuted. This is fascinating. The response, he says, is to rejoice and be glad. Say that with me. Rejoice and be glad. Man, I pause there in a little time of study, and I'm like, I'm digging in deeper because I know that's not the correct translation. I just felt in my heart. I just felt in my heart a better translation is not rejoice and be glad, but when I'm persecuted, grin and bear it. That has to be the translation. Oh, it's not. Notice he uses two words, rejoice and be glad. He just doesn't say rejoice. He just doesn't say be glad. He says rejoice and be glad. It got worse when I've done a little work with this. The word be glad means to jump up and down with joy. I'm like, stop. That's because that's you're going, it's too much. Yeah, the response of persecution is to rejoice and be glad. Let's go back to the text. Notice that the persecution that he speaks of here. Blessed are you when others revile you, when they persecute you, when they utter all kinds of evil things against you, when they falsely accuse you on my account. I want you to look at those things. Reviled, persecute, speak evil, and lie about you. When someone lies about me, I don't think I'm going to be super pumped about that in regard to the kingdom. 
I don't think rejoice and be glad, but that's the response of a kingdom citizen. Rejoice and be glad. By the way, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11 that Jesus endured the cross. How? For the joy set before him. Joy. So here's the reason. He's like, you're going to get persecuted if it happens because of me. And how do you respond to that, Jesus? Oh, do it with rejoicing and just jumping up and down, man. Just jump up and down with joy. Then he talks about the reward. He mentions the reward twice. Once he talks about the kingdom of heaven. But what I find interesting is toward the end of the text, he, he says this reward is great in heaven. Huh. I got to thinking about this, Don. I just thought, could it be that he is the reward? Could it be that seeing him, the text doesn't say that, but could it be possibly that the reward that he's speaking about, at least a portion of it, is seeing Jesus face to face? You say, where would you come up with that, Pastor? I come up with that in the book of Acts. There's a man named Stephen. He's stoned to death. As he is dying, the Scripture says he looks into heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I believe it's the only place in the Scripture, I believe it is, I'm going, kind of going off the cuff right now, where Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. He's usually seated at the right hand of the Father. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said these words. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. By the way, every follower of Jesus should read Cost of Discipleship by Bonhoeffer. In the book, the main thesis is that sentence. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In some ways, as Bonhoeffer writes that book, I'm not sure he understood the potential prophetic meaning to that. On a gray day, April 9th, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer at the Flossenburg concentration camp, he was led to the gallows. He was a theologian, a pastor. Quite frankly, he was part of the resistance of Hitler's movement. He's led to the gallows that day, April 9th, 1945. He was age 39. As he approached the gallows, Bonhoeffer uttered a few final words of defiant and resilient hope. Don't miss it. He was heard uttering words as he made his way to the gallows. He knew this was it. He was overheard with a defiant and a resilient hope, saying this, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. Could it be that Bonhoeffer sensed this reward that its Savior had spoken about? There was a doctor there, an on-site doctor, witnessing the execution of Bonhoeffer and others that day. He said this about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said that he'd never seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. 
Jesus says when you're persecuted, the reason will probably be because of me. Response, rejoice and be glad. Don't forget, there's a reward. And then he says, do this, remember the prophets. When you're persecuted, you're not on, a, you're not on an island. This persecution thing has been going for thousands of years. Go back into the Old Testament. You will see the persecution of God's people. <clears throat> you know what's interesting is that some hearing the message that day, they were persecuted. Some hearing the message that day actually gave their life. They lost their lives because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. History tells us, as you move further into church history, that, that Christians were often fed to hungry lions. They would wrap believers in animal skin, place them in an area, and turn loose wild animals, including lions. It is believed that over 3,000 Christians were killed in the Roman Colosseum alone for sport, mind you. Hebrews tells us that some were sawed in two, some were hacked to death. History tells us that Christians were used in Nero's gardens. He would light them on fire and light his gardens with the Christians serving as the torches. Persecution's real. In fact, <clears throat> Tertullian said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Persecution is real. It's active. There's pockets of persecution in this country. Since 1999, there have been 23 fatal church shootings in the U.S. 23 since 1999. Persecution has intensified. I think it will continue to intensify. I don't think it's going away. I don't think it's going by the wayside. History will tell you that the most persecuted places on the planet are where the church is growing the fastest. It's an amazing thing. The church goes underground. It explodes. I believe persecution that we see in the early books of Acts, that, that persecution came onto the scene to some degrees, quite possibly with an allowance of a, of a sovereign God to get the people to move, to take this gospel as they went their separate ways. We're not afraid of death. What we're afraid of is a life without faith, without our Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll take just a moment <clears throat> and broaden the conversation, and then I'm going to close our time together. I want us to look briefly at persecution globally, and just some, some things, some stats I want to make you aware of is that <clears throat> more than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. 5,621 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons in 2022. One in seven Christians are persecuted worldwide. One in five Christians are persecuted in Africa. Two in five are persecuted in Asia. I'll give you a brief crash course in missiology. You ready? The 1040 window is a big part of what we call the Great Commission movement. The 1040 window is located 10 degrees south and 40 degrees north of the equator. 
There are 69 nations across North Africa, the Middle East, Central Asia, all in the 1040 window. It is estimated that there are 1.6 billion people there who have never had a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, not even once. I was at a conference one time, and a missionary stood up and said, nobody deserves to hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once. Almost 2 billion people have never heard the gospel. The seat of every major non-Christian religion sits in the 1040 window. Buddhism, Hinduism, animism, atheism, Sikhism, they're all headquartered here. Two-thirds of the world's population, 4 billion people live in the 1040 window. 95% of those 4 billion are unevangelized. 87% of those 4 billion are the poorest of the poor, living on an average of $250 annually per family. In many of the 69 nations represented in the 1040 window, witnessing is illegal and could result in the imprisonment and or death. 45 of the 50 worst countries in the world for persecution of Christians are in the 1040 window. John Piper at the Gospel Coalition conferences not too long ago said this, and I know it's hard for you to see. John Piper says, if you have any strength left in your church, give it to the nations. Any strength left in your church, give it to the nations. Could it be that our lack of going to the nations strategically, prayerfully, it's possible that our lack of moving out into the harvest fields, could it be that that's been some of the resistance of the gospel flourishing in our country? And it doesn't make sense. But maybe... We need to be more prayerfully and intentional of taking the gospel to the 1040 window. Here's my kingdom challenge as we close. First of all, are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Have you come into that relationship and said yes to his love, his grace, his forgiveness? You see, one can't be a kingdom peacemaker without first being at peace with the king. Are you at peace with God? That's the first question. If not, take the step. Get right with the king. Get right with the king. And man, right here tonight, you can come to me at the end of the service and say, I, I, I want to be at peace with God. I want to get my relationship with God right. And then just in a couple of weeks, February 18th and 19th, we're going we're gonna to baptize. That's that public declaration that now I'm taking those steps and entering into this peaceful relationship with God the Father. Are you at peace with God? Second kingdom challenge and last one. Are you actively living as a biblical peacemaker, helping others find peace with God? It's great to keep peace among people and good luck. <laughs> that's not easy to do. I understand. I, I, I am one of those people. And, and that's a great thing. It's a noble thing to, to be a, a peacemaker in your home or in your office or in your relationship. It's a, it's a great thing, and, and you can bring peacemaking into those environments when you have this peace 
with God the Father. But, but biblical peacemaking goes further than that. It it's actually includes a, a, a vertical element as well, where we have the right responsibility and the honor to be those reconcilers, invading the darkness with the light of the gospel that others may find peace with God. And so are you and I actively living as biblical peacemakers? So I would ask this question, who's in your 1040 window? Who's in your 1040 window? Who's in your kitchen window? Who's in your office window? Who's in your car window? Who is in your 1040 window? You may not travel to the map that I showed you. Most of us will not, and that's okay. Let's be ambassadors right here where we are. So maybe the question is not, are we willing to die for Jesus? But maybe the question is, are we willing to live for Jesus? Let's pray. Father, move in our hearts of peacemaking and persecution. I think there's great intentionality where Jesus placed these beatitudes side by side. And Lord, I pray that those of us in this room that we've never entered into a peaceful relationship, that we will take that step. Those of us who who've come into that relationship with you, Father, I pray that we are peacemakers, ambassadors, catalyst of reconciliation, bringing people by the power of the Holy Spirit, leading them to faith in Jesus Christ. Would you just, as you are, we're going to close, just think about maybe somebody in your life, your office, you work out with, that you know it's a neighbor. Would you just begin praying for them? If you're not even sure where they are spiritually, I'm not even asking you to figure out where they are. I'm just asking you, if God lays somebody on your heart, just begin to pray. Say, Lord, I want to understand. I want to know them more. Help me to pray and care, share when the opportunity arises. Father, we are excited to see what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.